Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Cinema Soft Underbelly. I am your host, Eugene Weaver, and if you're listening, then you know that this show is all about horror movies, gems in the rough, little scene movies, grindhouse movies, fantasy, sci-fi, all of that out there weird stuff that I just love. And um, I was uh, I was tempted to do an episode on a newer horror movie, but I might save that one for uh, the other show that I'm on, Movie Freaks, that you can find on iTunes. Uh, instead, I'm going to focus on uh, three movies, maybe even more if I get to them, but three movies that I just got on Blu-ray that I don't think I've talked a whole lot about on this show, and they definitely fit a little bit more into uh, what this show is all about uh, because they're they're more classic movies. Uh, and today I am going to be focusing on Hammer Horror, three different Hammer Horror movies that I recently rewatched because I've watched pretty much all of the um, all of the the biggies from Hammer through the late 50s, uh, all through the 60s, and then into the 70s. Uh, but <clears throat> it was good to rewatch these again, especially because I've watched so many Hammer movies now that some of them that I immediately fell in love with, uh, rewatching them after I've seen so many of these, rewatching them while they're still really good, uh, some of them aren't quite as good uh, as they had been because. They follow a very, very similar formula, especially the uh, the franchise ones that Hammer did, like the the Mummy series, and mainly the Frankenstein and Dracula series. Um, they're all good in one way or another. Uh, even the even the latter day Dracula ones uh, are still enjoyable. I like that Frankenstein went out with a bang. In fact, uh, Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell. Uh, which was, I believe, 1972, was one of the best of the Hammer movies as well as the Frankenstein movies. That might be my favorite uh, Frankenstein movie, whereas the Dracula ones really petered out in the end, unfortunately, with uh, uh, Dracula AD, which was okay. It had a, a really good first half, and then the second half was eh. And then the Satanic Rites of Dracula, yeah, that just, like, really? That's how you're going out? All right. Um, but having said that, let's focus on some gems. Uh, so first up, I'm going to get the uh, Frankenstein movie out of the way. Now, here's another thing about the Frankenstein series. It felt like to me that Hammer, uh, their bread and butter was Frankenstein and the Dracula series. And I think that Dracula uh, across the board is better than the Frankenstein movies, but not by much. Uh, I think that... that uh, and it, that honestly might be a personal preference because the Draculas are a little bit more sinister. Uh, they get a little bit more graphic and gruesome, and there's they're a little bit more pushing the boundaries with uh, with the skin. Uh, however, like I said before, Frankenstein really ended with a bang with uh, the monster from hell. That was that was a good movie, and that was it was weird because watching that is almost like Hammer is throwing everything in the kitchen sink into that movie. Uh, and I thought that was great. Uh, and that, because it came out in 72, uh, I've watched enough documentaries and read up enough on, on that era of Hammer from the late 50s to the 
early to barely mid 70s, but uh, especially in the 70s, they were really trying to play catch up with uh, with American horror movies, because at that point, Night of the Living Dead had come out and that was a game changer in 68. And then from there uh, in 72, it was The Exorcist. And that really changed the landscape of cinema, not just in the United States, but across the world. Um, And with with uh, The Exorcist, you had Texas Chainsaw Massacre in 74. But Exorcist was really the one that it's like, okay, uh, things are changing. The gothic horror movie is uh, is becoming a relic. In fact, that was already happening after Romero's Night of the Living Dead. Um, and you can tell that with uh, Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell, and even some of the Dracula movies, but especially uh, Monster from Hell, for some reason, they, they really, I mean, it's very much an R-rated movie. And uh, pretty gory for its time, and just mean-spirited, and uh, much more so than most of the Frankenstein movies. So, uh, anyway... I'm going to get into the movie that I'm talking about today, and that is Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed. And this movie is uh, was uh, released in 1969. So when it was made, I'm sorry, it was made in 1969, released on uh, February 11th of 1970. And um, I'm so glad that uh, in the 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 golden years of the Blu-ray format, that we are really starting to get. Uh, the market saturated with a lot of these older classic movies and much more obscure movies. Um, I had to import most of my Hammer Horror movies from the UK and from even from uh, uh, was it Australia or yeah. Um, there was a few that trickled out in the states from Synopsy, uh, but the Hammer has so such a huge library of movies. I think it would have been awesome with, and I understand that. Different studios have the rights to the different movies, but I think it would have been cool if Hammer Studios themselves could have somehow just started releasing their movies under their banner, the the Hammer Horror series, or the Ham... Actually, not the Hammer Horror series, the Hammer series, because there's pirate movies, there's um, comedies, there's all crime dramas, there's all sorts of different Hammer-produced movies, and they're really good, and it would have been great if, if they could have themselves released... Um, just released their movies and they you know, would have had very similar cover art, uh, maybe even number the things uh, and, uh, for a col- from a collector's standpoint because I've got Blu-rays from different studios uh, just because I want to get everything that is released on Blu-ray. I want to get that Hammer put out. In fact, I'm, uh, I'm on the fence about getting Curse of the Werewolf. Uh, Oliver Reed started in a really good movie uh, and the only way you can get it, I think there's a Spanish Blu-ray and then there's a UK Blu-ray that has some good special features on it, but it's going to cost me at least 20 bucks. And at this stage in the game, 20 bucks for a Blu-ray, the movie has better be pretty good to spend $20 on, with just with how streaming has been going um, and how Blu-ray has really saturated the market. 20 bucks is a lot of money for a Blu-ray, especially of an old uh, 60s uh, horror movie. So uh, anyway, anyway, I keep getting sidetracked. Frankenstein must be destroyed. I'm going to read the back of the Blu-ray here. And this Blu-ray actually was released um, by Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers released uh, all three of these, the the Dracula movies I'm going to talk about, and this Frankenstein as well. Um, Let's see here. Baron Frankenstein's experiment went wrong, dead wrong. Thus, another victim lies in a makeshift grave. Suddenly, a water main bursts, forcing the dead man's arm to the surface. Next, 
The torrent heaves the body upward. Frankenstein's panicked accomplice tries to conceal the body, but corpses can be so unwieldy. This creepy scene is a highlight of Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed. Horror great Peter Cushing's fifth Hammer Studios Frankenstein saga. Other cast members of note include film debuting Simon Ward and Freddie Jones as the scientist's pitiable new creation. Frankenstein pioneers research in brain transplant, but the procedure is imperfect, which is just perfect for horror fans. And this actually now has an official rating of PG-13, and rightly so. Um, This is 1969, so already Hammer is really trying to push the envelope with their violence. And while this is is firmly entrenched in PG-13 subject matter, it's still, it's still definitely a far, far cry from what the first couple Frankenstein movies were, which were uh, very PG-rated affairs. Uh, strong PG-rated affairs, but PG nonetheless. Um, anyway, a couple things of note that I found about this particular Frankenstein movie is uh, Peter Cushing as Baron Frankenstein is a deplorable villain in this. And usually in the Frankenstein, the Hammer Frankenstein series, um, Peter Cushing is, uh, you, you kind of want to like him because he really does have a great idea. Um, and he's not that sinister, but he's still kind of the antihero, you know, where it's like, ah, oh, just let this guy do what he needs to do to bring, you know, reanimated corpses back to life and to give life to you know, dead cells. Uh, but in this one here, he, they really, go all out in making him uh, truly uh, a bad guy in, in it. And <clears throat> uh, it, it works sometimes. Like, uh, honestly, I think Peter Cushing's best villain role ever uh, was in Star Wars, Episode Four: uh, A New Hope. Um, I thought, uh, was it uh, Tarkin? Was that his name? I don't know. I'm not going to, uh, who knows. Uh, regardless, he was great in that. He was a great bad guy in that. And that was the first time I had ever seen Peter Cushing was in Star Wars. Uh, so anyway, but here he's a, a very, very much bad guy. And in fact, a couple of the notes here, uh, Peter Cushing deplored the inclusion of the rape scene and even apologized to his co-star Veronica Carlson. And that is, uh, one thing that I will chime in on as well. Uh, that really didn't fit the movie at all. Uh, one of the main things, uh, about Peter Cushing and his character in the Frankenstein series is that even though he is, you know, dabbling things he shouldn't, he never, and even murder, he just, he doesn't go down the, the rapey road. And this one here he did, and it's like, what? That's weird. And um, it was actually added at the last minute. Um, the shooting of the movie was almost complete, but st- uh, studio head at Hammer, uh, James Carreras, thought that the film lacked sex. Well, you're not sure if throwing in a very awkward rape scene with Peter Cushing is the, and Peter Cushing uh, at this point, he was getting pretty old and Veronica Carlson was pretty young and it was just very odd. Now it's fairly tame by today's standards, but it's still a very odd uh, choice. In fact, um, the movie is 101 minutes long, which is a bit too long in my opinion for a movie like this. Uh, it could have been easily 90 minutes, and that is definitely one thing that they could have cut out, and the movie still would have been uh, a solid entry into the Frankenstein series. I still think 
evil of Frankenstein is probably my favorite of the uh, of the Hammer Frankenstein's, just because uh, Universal gave them the the okay to actually uh, use Frankenstein's creature to the original likeness of the of the original Frankenstein monster from uh, from the 30s. So uh, I, that was cool. I, I liked that. Uh, that Frankenstein really looked like what I envisioned Frankenstein to look like, not uh, just a dead dude with some stitches around his head. And uh, Although I will say Christopher Lee as Frankenstein in the original uh, Curse of Frankenstein from the late 50s, he was really good as uh, Baron Frankenstein's creation as well. And it was something very unique and very different with how they, um, with with the presentation of, of him. Um, one other note here, uh, this film marks the return of director Terence Fisher after an extended absence from Hammer Studi- uh, Productions uh, as his films were considered too slow and emotional by this point. Fisher has mentioned in multiple interviews uh, that this film was his personal favorite to make along with the original Dracula in 1958, which is a classic movie. Not just horror movie. That is a classic movie of the cinema. I urge you to watch it. It's uh, It's... Probably my, well, I don't want to say my favorite Dracula movie. You'll have to listen to Movie Freaks uh, podcast to find out all about my favorite Dracula movies and all that stuff because we're going through the top 100 over there and we hit on that stuff. Uh, After directing this film and The Devil Rides Out, another fantastic, fantastic Hammer Studios movie with Christopher Lee. You've got to watch that movie, Devil Rides Out. Uh, Fisher would once again be out of the picture for a while due to several car accidents. His last hurrah at Hammer was to be another Frankenstein film, Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell. And actually, now that I see it, that was made in 1974, and I thought it was made in 1972. So this was now after Exorcist and right along the same time as Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And again, watching that movie, you can tell what's going on uh, with really upping the ante with everything. And, and not just Frankenstein, but Twins of Evil and Vampire Circus uh, and even uh, Captain Kronos, which I did not like, uh, but but very much a shift. Even from, from the movie that I'm talking about right now, Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed, there is a, def- a, a, a definite shift in, uh, in tone. So anyway, uh, that's, uh, that is Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed. And now on to the Draculas. And these are my, uh, this, is, this is right up my alley here. Um, so I'm going to start with Dracula Has Risen from the Grave. Again, Warner Brothers put this out. And this movie is rated G, it says on the back. Um, or pushing an R rating. So there you go. Uh, it's just amazing that this movie, uh, this movie is rated G. And it's the farthest thing from a G rating. Uh, Christopher Lee as the fanged undead. A village trembles in fear. A priest forsakes his vows in the service of evil. Young beauties fall victim to a mysterious seducer and each night brings the threat of death because Dracula has risen from the grave. In his third incarnation as Bram Stoker's infamous vampire, horror great and nearly seven-decade movie veteran Christopher Lee goes fang to cross with the forces of good in this atmospheric Hammer Studios film directed with stylish menace by two-time Academy Award-winning cinematographer Freddie Francis. He and Lee see to it that just as the undead rises in terrifying fashion, so will your goosebumps. Um, so the uh, the first 
Hammer Dracula was uh, the horror of Dracula, which is such a good movie. It is uh, so powerful and it holds up so well. And then uh, they did uh, Brides of Dracula, which was another great entry, but that did not have Christopher Lee. But it's funny because uh, Christopher Lee, you could feel Christopher Lee's presence through um, that entire movie, through the entire running time of... Excuse me. For the, through the entire running time of uh, *Brides of Dracula*, it just felt like Christopher Lee's presence was there, and I think that's so cool. Um, and then um, *Dracula: Prince of Darkness*, uh, which is so so good, and I have a history with that movie. In fact, that's the first *Hammer Dracula* that uh, that I ever saw, and I love 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 that movie. So. Um, and then this one. Um, so this one here, uh, you know, Christopher Lee went, went on record as saying that he did not really um, much care for this, but I don't know why. It is still, while it's not quite as good as the first couple, it's still a rock-solid uh, Dracula movie, and I would dare say that this is probably, not probably, this is um, the last truly great uh or or very very good dracula movie from hammer uh until things started to go a little bit south still watchable movies but just not as good as this one um christopher lee loved to recount the following tale hammer was given a queen's award to industry while shooting the final scenes of dracula impaled on the rocks with a group of british government uh Oh, I'm, not even, I'm reading this off the internet here. Uh, government officials watching as Lee thrashed around, screaming and poured with gore. Uh, after the scene wrapped, a minister turned to his wife and said, that man is a member of my club. And that's just cool. And, and Christopher Lee, um, I wish that they would do a 10-hour documentary on his life because that guy has seen it all and done it all and been through it all. And rest in peace, Christopher Lee. Uh, he is one of my favorite actors of all time. And rightly so. He elevates, uh, honestly, without him in, um, in some of these Dracula movies, some of the older Dracula, or later in, in the series Dracula movies, uh, they wouldn't be that good. But his presence is so commanding and so um, menacing that you can't help but like the movie. And this one here, he's so tall and dark and sinister, and it's just great. Uh, this is the first movie to receive a rating from the MPAA in 1968. And again, I... Rated G, really, because um, it is gory and it has, um, it has some rapey type stuff and it's pushing R. Uh, it was Hammer Studios' most profitable film, uh, which is uh, crazy. But now, now this is interesting. Uh, as I said, with uh, Frankenstein must be destroyed, uh, Terence Fisher uh, made. Frankenstein must be destroyed, and then he would not return for a little while because he was in a car accident, several car accidents. And this one here is one of them that he had to bow out of. So Freddie Francis, who is a longtime uh, Hammer director, uh, he made the movie. So there you go. Um, uh, let's see what other... Uh, in, uh, body count of five. Uh, there was not much of a body count in the movie. Um, but again, it's all about that sense of dread that uh, Christopher Lee commands with every scene that he's in. Um, so I love the way that they bring him back to life. And um, even more so, I love how 
they take him out because this is pretty much a standard issue. Uh, it just a lot of the movies just run very similar to each other uh, with with okay, he's brought back to life and here's you know here's a bunch of people that did something that they shouldn't have to bring him back to life and now he is and now how do we kill him and the movie ends abruptly like a kung fu movie. It's like uh, and I'm not spoiling anything because he dies in every Dracula movie. Um, Christopher Lee dies. The end. Roll credits. And we're talking like a minute later, if even that. Um, this movie was supposedly, uh, it takes place supposedly one year after Dracula, Prince of Darkness, um, in Horror of Dracula. The story takes place, according to Jonathan Harker's diary, somewhere around 1887 in Dracula, Prince of Darkness. Father Sander claims that it is about 10 years since Dracula's destruction. Uh, so about 1897. Thus, Dracula has risen from the grave. Should take place in 1898 if a year has passed. However, the inscription plate on the coffin which the priest steals for Dracula gives the date uh, of someone's life from as 1885 to 1905, several years after the apparent setting. Consistency can only be maintained if we assume that in Prince of Darkness, uh, Father Sander was speaking loosely and meant over 10 years has passed. And the only reason I say that is is because it's just kind of a horror trope right there that, especially with, like with the Friday the 13th movies and maybe a little bit with Nightmare on Elm Street, but mainly Friday the 13th where all logic is thrown out the door when it comes to the timeline. Like it doesn't match up and it's like five years later, two years later, Way back in the day, 20 years passed, and now we're back and back and forth and back and forth, and um, it's cool that they were doing that all the way back in the 60s as well with this series. So, uh, anyway, uh, atmosphere, atmosphere, atmosphere. The movie just oozes dread, oozes atmosphere. It's uh, it's a fantastic movie. I, um, It's funny, again, it's funny that the movie is rated R, or I'm sorry, rated G, uh, but... Uh, it it works. It makes it even cooler. Uh, this because I'm guessing the MPA didn't even watch the movie and they just figured, oh, it's you know it's fine. But it's gory and it's grim and there's a lot of sensuality in it and um, it's rated G. So it's a cool little story. Anyway, moving on now to my last movie of this episode and that is Taste the Blood of Dracula from 1970. Released June 7th in 1970. And now we've got a full-on R rating. Uh, this one here has an official R rating. And rightly so. This is an R-rated movie. Uh, back of the Blu-ray here. And by the way, the transfers on these movies are uh, really, really good. The sound is good. For, for being older, very low-budget movies, these are... I'm, I'm just so happy to see these finally released on Blu-ray. Um, it's the boys' night out, time for brawdy fun, yet revelry alone can't satisfy these community leaders out on a lark. There's still an adventure that can be duped into trying, one that will transform a certain count from moldering dust into blood-lusting flesh. Taste the Blood of Dracula, another film in Hammer Studios' cycle of hemoglobin Victorian-era horror, is a showcase of why Hammer became the name in gothic terror. The solid cast and rich production design raise goosebumps of real-life fear and otherworldly dread, and Christopher Lee dones his red-lined cape again to become evil incarnate. He's Count Dracula, a being neither dead nor alive, but his movies are livelier than ever. Directed by Peter Sazdi, I guess you could pronounce it. Um, so a couple uh, notes about this movie is uh, some of the writers have claimed that uh, Vincent Price was going to play a fourth member of 
the Thrill Seekers Club, but budget cuts removed the character, so his part was shared among John Carlson and Peter Salas and uh, uh, Jeffrey Keynes. Uh, now, I will say that, that uh, that's the highlight of this movie is the fact that there is these three guys that are up to no good. So they are going to a brothel. They meet up with this other guy who happens to have some of Dracula's dried powder blood. And uh, from there, they do this big, uh, very, very satanic ritual type thing to bring Dracula back from the dead. And this one here especially, it's like, uh, and even I noticed it with Dracula A.D., um, like with the resurrection stuff, I'm like, but oh, you guys are getting pretty devilly Satan-y type going on here now. And this one here, especially like there's like pentagrams and it's just odd to see that in, cause there's a lot of hammer movies out there that are very, uh, very f- almost family friendly or very, just, you know, from another era. And this one here, this one earns its R rating. I mean, there's some nudity in it and there's some dated, of course, but there's, there's some there's some violence in this thing. People are bitten and stabbed and uh, stakes through. It's, it's up there. The, uh, the film was originally not going to feature Dracula at all, much like Brides of Dracula from 1960, due to Christopher Lee becoming increasingly reluctant to reprise the role and the producers not expecting to be able to convince him to do so. Lee's increasing salary demands were also a factor. Uh, Ralph Bates would have played the lead uh, if not, you know, if Christopher Lee would not have done it. The script was rewritten to include Dracula after the producers were finally able to coax Lee back to the role after Warner Seven Arts refused to back the film without the actor's participation. And I'm so glad that he's in this because, again, his presence is so felt in this movie and it's so ominous and just oppressive and and evil and sinister. Um, and I'll tell you, I really... Um, I really like Linda Hayden in this movie. She's the uh, buxom blonde interest in Dr- Dracula has has it out for this this girl, and she's beautiful and just the perfect uh, the perfect casting choice for this role. I really liked her in this role. Uh, she was she was well cast. Um, uh, anyway. Um, this is one of the four films released in 1970 in which Christopher Lee played Count Dracula. The others were Count Dracula, uh, One More Time, and Scars of Dracula. So he uh, played in... I mean, that guy was just banging out movies left and right. Um, this was Ralph Bates' first of five Hammer films. The others were uh, Horror of Frankenstein, Lust for a Vampire, Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde, and Fear in the Night. Fear in the Night is a very good movie, by the way. You should check that one out. Um, so, anyway, but really good movie. Uh, again, I like the fact that they really tried to switch this one here up with the resurrection of Dracula, how they, how they did it. It was, uh, they really took their time with it, uh, which was, I liked that, that he doesn't show up for a little while. Uh, there was a, a big buildup to when he finally comes back. And then when he does finally come back, uh, then it's him getting revenge on these three guys and it's pretty fast paced. I like that. Uh, even at 95 minutes, which again, with these movies, Keep it at 85 to 90, but even at 95 minutes, I was totally on board. And it, again, all three of these movies are worth every penny uh, that you will pay for them. On Blu-ray, I cannot recommend them enough. Uh, they're not my favorite Hammer movies, but they're essential viewing if you are a not just a Hammer fan, but a fan of classic horror cinema. They are so, so, so good. Uh, but um, if you want to start somewhere in the Hammer horror lineup, I definitely would recommend 
uh, Horror of Dracula, and then Dracula, Prince of Darkness, back-to-back. Those are so good um, and so iconic. Uh, so anyway, I'm running out of time. I love talking about Hammer movies. Love, love this stuff. And I just hope that they keep on releasing more of these movies. And I would love to see some of the more obscure Hammer mo- movies that I've never even seen before. Uh, so please, someone, whoever has the rights, let's get these out on Blu-ray or at least stream them or something. Um, anyway, that's going to do it for this show, but I do appreciate you listening. And thanks to everybody that did come out for the four nights of Fulci at the nightlight, had a great time. It was fun. Um, promoted the heck out of it. And we're going to be promoting the heck out of more stuff coming to the nightlight and maybe other theaters. Um, who knows, but, uh, stay tuned for more information on that. Please make sure that you tune into movie freaks. We are on iTunes, Eric Marner and I, and we're right now going through the top 100 movies of all time, as well as in October, of course, we have to talk about uh, everything and anything horror-related, so really uh, suggest tuning into that show, because we're having a blast doing that stuff. So, And then also, our friends over at Cinema Sidekicks, always a good listen. They hit on more of the new release stuff, although not always. I'm impressed that... Uh, uh, they're watching some different stuff, and uh, Steve was able to make it up to Four Nights of Fulci uh, for uh, three different showings, which is great, and we really appreciate that. Even though there was a couple, there was a snafu with the Beyond, he still made it all the way up there, and so we really appreciate that. So thanks for supporting us. And um, anyway, you can get a hold of me at Eugene-Weaver at Hotmail.com with any questions you may have or movies that you think I should watch or movies that you think I should avoid. Um or anything else randomly you'd like to talk to me about. I'd love to hear from you. So anyway, thanks for listening, and until next time.